Hello everyone and welcome to the From Italy with EDH podcast. I'm your host Jonathan and I'm here today with yet another really interesting Commander deck deck. But before talking about it, I want to remind you a few things. First of all, to check out my Instagram profile at From Italy with EDH and my Twitter profile at TTHFrom because there we'll be posting anything regarding this podcast, including when new episodes are coming out. And also we'll be sharing each and every news that impacts on the podcast as a whole. So if you want to keep up with it, be sure to leave a follow on both of them. Moreover, I created a YouTube channel that is named, you guessed it right, from Italy with EDH, and there we'll be posting every episode of the podcast, but also some extra content that is still MTG related, but not deck tech related. So if you want to watch some extra content, be sure to leave a follow there as well. With this out of the way, let's jump right into today's episode. The deck I'm going to talk about today is Brago, King Eternal. Brago is 2, a white and a blue for a 2-4 legendary creature spirit with flying the reeds. Whenever Brago King Eternal deals combat damage to a player, exile any number of target non-land permanents you control. They return those cards to the battlefield under their own control. So Brago is the most popular Azorius commander according to EDH Rack, and for a good reason. In fact, it's a commander that is, is really easy to build because its ability generates a lot of value with ease and it's really easy to combo off with this commander. In fact, the strategy of our deck is a control combo one and we aim to control the board slash build a pillow fort while we're assembling the combo we need to win. So. We want to control the board and don't allow opponents to deal damage to us or interact with us in any way. Then we want to tutor the artifacts we need for our combos that we're going to see in a moment. And then win through some infinite blink combo that we can stop whenever we want. And that's when we win the game. Before jumping right into the combos that involve Brago in them, I want to point out one combo that th- that this deck is a- capable of pulling off without using Brago, and that's the one where we use Felidar Guardian, a clone, and Altar of the Brood. So Felidar Guardian is three and a white for a one-four cat beast that, when enters the battlefield, exiles another target permanent we control, and then return it returns it on the battlefield under its owner control. Other of the Brood, on the other hand, is one generic mana for an artifact that reads whenever another permanent enters the battlefield under your control, each opponent puts the top card of his or her library into his or her graveyard. So the combo works with Other of the Brood on the battlefield, then we play Felidar Guardian and blink whatever a land we control and mill our opponents for one, then we play a clone, just like the clone that's three and a blue for a shapeshifter that enters the battlefield as a copy of any creature on the battlefield or some as some other clones we have in the list. We copy Felidar Guardian with the clone and get the ETB. With the ETB we blink the original Felidar Guardian, then the other Felidar Guardian, the original Felidar Guardian re-enters the battlefield and we blink the clone. When the clone enters we copy Felidar Guardian and do this an infinite amount of time getting infinite and ETB's triggers that are going to mill our opponents to the death. 
and we can stop this loop by blinking something else with either the clone or uh, the original Felidal Guardian. We could use a second blinker in place of the clone, for example Restoration Angel, but the clones are more flexible, so we can use them even in situations where we don't have the combo set up and use them for value, for example the previously mentioned clone can copy any creature on the battlefield, so if our opponents control a really good creature, we can copy that and just use that creature that we copied to buy us time to build up the combo. And also clones are less extensive of cards like Restoration Angel. Also, we cannot use cards like Flicker Wisp, because Flicker Wisp makes the creature return on, on the battlefield at the end of turn and we need the creature to just blink, being exiled and then return immediately under our control. The actual main combo line for this deck is involves Brago, Strianic Resonator, and any mana rock that taps for 2 or plus mana, and or a combination of mana rocks that taps for 2 or more mana. With this series of cards we can actually generate an infinite amount of Brago triggers, and that's how we do it. Once we have attacked with Brago and dealt damage, we get the first trigger ability. With that on the stack, we use Triangle Resonator, that's 2 generic mana for an artifact that reads tap two, pay 2 and tap it to copy target trigger ability you control, you may choose new targets for the copy. So while the trigger ability of Brago is on the stack, we copy it with Triangle Resonator using some mana rock that we mentioned before. With the, then the copy of the ability goes on the stack and we let it resolve. Once it resolves, we blink Strange Resonator, the mana rocks we used, and anything else we need for our combos. Then when they re-enter the battlefield, before the first triggered ability, the real triggered ability of Brago resolves, we copy it again, and then we continue this loop as many times as we need. This base for our combo allows us to have infinite enter the battlefield triggers for whatever we want. And in fact, the first combo I'm going to talk about is a variation of the actual first combo that I mentioned, the one with Feligard Guardian and Altar of the Brood. In fact, if we manage to pull off these infinite triggers with Prago, having just Feligard Guardian and Altar of the Brood on the battlefield is enough to kill our opponents, because we can continuously blink Felidar Guardian, and with Felidar Guardian we can blink a land in order to avoid any problem. And with his infinite ETBs, we trigger Altar of the Brood that is going to mill all of our opponents. So Felidar Guardian and Altar of the Brood are, as you can understand, the main pieces of our deck because they are the centerpieces of the two most important combo lines in our list. The second combo line in our deck that uses the base of Brago, Strenic Resonator and some mana rocks is the one that involves either one of Reality Acid, Rishdan Cutpurse and Rishadan Footpad. So Reality Acid is 2 in a blue for an enchantment aura that enchants a permanent. It has Vanishing 3, so it enters the battlefield with 3 tank counters on it. At the beginning of our upkeep, we remove a 10 counter from it, and when the last one is removed, we sacrifice it. And when Reality Acid leaves play, Enchanted Permanents control the sacrifice it. 
So usually the reality acid needs three turns to let the to make the opponent sacrifice a permanent re-enchant and then is sacrificed. But with our infinite blinks we can just continuously blink reality acid in order to attach it to different permanents and they are all the permanents of opponent controls control including lands and then when we blink it it leaves the battlefield so our opponents need to sacrifice each permanent we're going to target with reality acid then Rishadan Cutpurse and Rishadan Footpad are really similar Rishadan Cutpurse is 2 and a blue for a 1-1 pirate that when enters, enters the battlefield each opponent sacrifices a permanent unless he or she pays 1 and Rishadan Footpad is the same but for 3 and a blue it's a 2-2 two -two, and opponents need to pay 2 in order to avoid sacrificing a permanent the idea is that having them enter the battlefield an infinite amount of time our opponents sooner or later are going to not have enough mana to pay for their triggers and will have to sacrifice each permanent they control. So they can be activated each turn, of course. We can reactivate Brago on the following turn after we have cleaned the board of each permanent our opponent's control and then we can just restart this loop each turn in order to avoid them having any kind of board presence and land presence but it's a combo that is a bit tryhard or cocky and people might get upset or annoyed by it many casual play group play groups don't like these kind of combos in which also lands are involved and destroyed so I mean it's a really powerful combo and you should totally run it but also talk with your play group and see if they like this type of lines or they prefer something else because I mean in any case you win the game also with the combos that we mentioned before and with the one that I'm going to mention after this but it's a different feeling than losing because of meal so I recommend you to talk with your playgroup and ask them if they're okay with you running this combo the third combo in our list involves just Stonehorn Dignitary. And Stonehorn Dignitary is 3 and a white for a 1-4 creature Rhino Soldier that when enters the battlefield, target opponent skips his or her next combat phase. So the idea of the combo is to blink Stonehorn Dignitary an infinite amount of times in order to make our opponents skip the combat phase for the rest of the game. And this combo may be seen as lame by our opponents because we are not winning the game on spot, we just lock them out of combat phase so they're not going to be able to attack for the rest of the game, but we're not actually winning the game because storm decks can just cast spells and kill us through spells, I mean a deck like Nivis Mimizet Parun doesn't need combat step to win the game. And also combo decks, like ones that run the Thassa's Oracle, the Money Consultation line, can easily win without involving combo step. So this combo is particularly strong in casual tables where combat, combat damage is the main win condition. So at a lower level it's really powerful but as we play games 
at higher levels, this combo is going to do nothing but perhaps stop some source of value, for example, Okerman Necessary, that is 3 and a green, 4 a 2, 3, Elf Warrior, that when, de when deals damage, he makes his controller draw a card. But other than stopping abilities that trigger when combat damage is dealt, we're not doing anything else. So it's powerful, as I said, in casual groups, but if you're playing in higher level environments, you might swap this card out for something else because it's not going to be very useful. Way to generate crazy high value with the infinite blinks we at our disposal is by using cards with the monarch ability. So the, being the monarch means that you're going to draw an extra card at the end of your turn and if any source deals damage to you the control of that source becomes the monarch. But the way monarch cards work is that when they enter the battlefield you become the monarch. So by blinking them we are sure that we're always going to be the monarch in our turns, so at least during our turns. So we're always going to just draw two cards per turn that is really high value. Then we run three cards with this ability. The first one is Fall from Favor, two and a blue for an aura that enchants a creature that when enters we become the monarch and then the enchanted creature doesn't untap during its control at the untap step unless the player is the monarch. So unless the control of the creature we enchant deal, deals us damage during our turn, the creature is not going to untap for the rest of the game because when they get to their untap step, we are still the monarch or they're the, the control of the creature is not the monarch. And then before they get to the successive untap step, we're going to get back the monarch by blinking for for favor all the cards with this mechanic mechanic. So it's a kind of a soft removal for creature. We just we don't just remove the creature, but it becomes kinda useless. And we can move it around to stop the biggest trouble at any time on the table, so it's pretty flexible. The second card with Monarch we run is Archon of Coronation, that is 4 and 2, green, two whites for a 5-5 five, five Archon with flying, that when enters we are the Monarch, and as long as we are the Monarch, damage doesn't cause us to lose life. So this is a very powerful pillow for effect. We don't take damage, we just gain a lot of time to assemble our combo. It's a really centerpiece and it's difficult to deal with because as a body, it's a 5-5 flyer that is really good and it's difficult to kill because we're blocking with it or by blocking it. And on the other hand, it will be the target of removal spells as soon as it enters the battlefield. And that's something that we can use at our advantage because it draws some attention from our, some attention from our opponents that could be pointed at our combo pieces. So it's a really good card, card that generates a lot of value and also just protects our combo pieces indirectly. So it's a really powerful and useful card. The last card with the Monarch mechanic we, mechanic we run is Court of Cunning, one and two blues for enchantment, that when enters the battlefield we become the Monarch, 
and then at the beginning of our upkeep any number of target players mill two cards if we are the monarch each of those players mills 10 cards instead so it's a kind of disruption i would say because milling cards is always something people don't like of course just if they're not graveyard centric decks uh, in that case you're doing them a favor and we can use this card to annoy players who tutor cards on top of their library so they're just going to mill the cards that they tutor for and it's not game breaking by any mean it's not that powerful but and we use it for the monarch mechanic because we want that extra card each turn but I mean if we manage to mill the other players at the table for 10 cards each turn they might this might add up and become I don't know if a win con but surely it becomes a timer on their head in some way mostly in casual groups in higher level play groups this card is just a tool to get the monarch ability so you might also consider swapping it out for some other card that gets you to be the monarch and in fact these cards with monarch are really exchangeable with others that gives you the monarch but because their main point of their inclusion is to get the extra card at the end of the turn with consistency so it's not like these three cards are just the one once you have to run in order to exploit the monarch ability you can run whatever card you want that gives you the to gives you the title i would say of monarch but i think that these three are powerful and also kind of funny so they are the three that i've chosen the last combo line present in this list involves the usage of capsize capsize is one and two blues for an instant with buyback three so we can pay an additional three as you ca as we cast the spell in order to put it back in our hand as it resolves and it reads return target permanent to its owner hand so thanks to the buyback ability we can bounce every permanent on board by just keep on keeping on playing capsize and by blinking our monologues that allows us allow us to pay the buyback each time we cast it but it's a combo that needs a lot of mana and also color and mana so it does kind of the same as the Rushdown footpad and catpurse and reality acid but it's slightly worse and a bit more difficult to pull off so it's not a preferable combo line it's here because it's a combo that we can easily not easily we can pull off with consistency but i would suggest you to aim for the others combo line that i talked about before because as this combo line is going to win you games because once you've bounced each permanent your opponent's control you basically win the game but i think that the others that i've mentioned the the ones that win you the game so like the Falidar Guardian mill one and the Rishdan or Reality Acid one 
are the preferable ones because they're just easier to pull off. Thing that I want to point out is how I only cover cards that can be a potential combo line with Brago's infinite tr triggers, but there are a lot more cards with ETB synergies in, in this list. Among them, among the ones that I didn't talk about, there are the three mages, Trophy Mage, Trinket Mage and Tribute Mage that are two and a blue for, a, for human wizards with base power and toughness 2-2. Two, two. And they let us tutor artifacts that cost one or less for Trinket Mage, two for Tribute Mage and three for Trophy Mage. So they're very useful because Trinket Mage gets us out of the brood that costs one. Trib or Soaring, if we need the Mana Rock to trigger Brago an infinite amount of times. Tribute Mage can get us other Mana Rocks that cost 2, for example Lark Signet or any other Mana Rock that costs 2. And Trophy Mage can get us Basal Monolith, that is another Mana Rock that allows us to trigger Brago an infinite number of times. So they're very useful because our combos deeply depend on artifacts so being able to tutor artifacts uh, multiple number of times is very very useful and another card that I didn't mention is Desert the Seeker that is three and two blues for a planeswalker that ends with four loyalties for loyalty counters with plus one we can tap two uh, target artifacts we can minus exit to search our library for an artifact with CMC X or less and put it on the battlefield so just like the mages that I talked about before but more powerful because we just put the artifact we need on the battlefield on the battlefield and the artifacts we need are all of lower CMC than four so we're also being we're also able to keep Tethered around after we tutor and then we can minus five it to um, make our artifact our artifacts become uh, artifact creatures with base power and toughness 5-5 until end of turn. We're not going to use that ability ever in during games. We only want to tutor artifacts with Tesseret and perhaps tutor more than one time per turn by blinking it. So yeah, Tesseret is here just because it's a really powerful card that tutors artifacts right on the battle, onto the battlefield and I think that is another card that is key for the strategy of the deck as a whole. Another crucial piece in our game plan is evasion. In fact, it's fundamental for us to trigger Brago as soon as possible because its ability makes it the preferable target for removal spells and if we just play Brago and don't trigger him for a lot of turns our opponents will have occasions to draw removal spells and just kill him. So we want to hit face as soon as possible in order to avoid this bad situation because of course if its casting cost goes higher our whole deck function really worse and it gets a lot more clunky so we want to just smack face as soon as possible in order to start our combo. We run three cards that give Brago evasion in some way. The first two are Aqueous Form, a blue for an aura that gives the creature it enchants unblockable, and Spirit Mantle, one and a white for an aura that gives the creature it enchants protection from creatures, are the actual evasion pieces, so they're just there to 
stop our opponents from blocking Brago. And then we run Lightning Grace to generate mana from equipment that gives the equipped creature Haste and Shroud with equip 0. They're here because early in the game they're a protection for Brago because with Shroud it can be target of spells. And later in the game if Brago gets killed we can just recast him and immediately give him haste in order to attack our opponent. So they have this dual function depending on the moment of the game we're in. In the list we're also landing a few stack pieces. This section is very flexible and you should shape it depending on your playgroup because you want to stop what others do best with their decks. So if you play in a really creature heavy meta, just put a lot of creature hate. If many at your table play storm decks, put non-creature spells hate. Just take the, the cards I put in the list as a starting point to be shaped depending on your personal playgroup. They're not something set or put there precisely because they're the best one. You just you should just see what others at your playgroup do best, as I said, and adapt your tax section uh, according to it. Lastly, there are some cards included in the interaction section on my list on Architect that I want to talk about because I think they're crucial pieces in our game plan. The first one is Silence. Silence is one white for an instant that reads your opponent can cut spells this turn. This card is just a one-time ticket to combo land, the promised land we want to reach in order to win games. So we have to use it with we have to use it in the right moment. We don't want to waste it. We want to use it on our turns to stop our opponents from interacting, if not with with abilities of cards they already have on board, to let us just combo off without worrying about others interacting with our stuff or countering our spells or stuff like that. So Silence is a really important card that has to be played at the right moment and not just played mindlessly because otherwise it would be kinda useless. Perhaps we could be lucky and just win the turn even if we played Silence mindlessly but we want to be sure to be playing it at the right moment in the right situation. Then we have Reshape and Wheel of Inventions. Wheel of Invention, there are two tutors for artifacts. Reshape is accent to blues for a sorcery, then the reads as an initial cost to cast this spell. Sacrifice an artifact, search a library for an artifact with command mana cost X or less and put it on the battlefield. Wheel of Invention is accent three blues for an instant with improvised, so we can tap artifacts to help pay the cost of this card that does the same exact thing. We search our library for an artifact with Converted mana cost X or less and put it on the battlefield. So I think the Wheel of Invention is the preferable card to play because we can play that instant speed on the end step of the player before us in order to just fetch the last piece of our combo and then just win the turn we, we start. But also Reshape is very good if we have enough mana to do everything we need to do. It's just the same card. The sorcery speed and the need to sacrifice an artifact makes it make it a little bit worse, but I think it's a good piece of it's a good tutor as well. Then we have some counter magic and some removal spells. I think that these cards should be just 
as I said for the stack species should be taken as an example, a starting point from where to shape your own stacks, your own interactions and counter spells because it really depends on the meta of your playgroup. If they win through spells like storm decks or they interact a lot, you should add counter magic because that's what they do best. They play really well with instant sorceries, so you want to counter the spells as soon as before they win through them. On their hand, if your meta is full of creature-based decks or your opponents usually apply a lot of pressure with combat damage, then you should run more removal spells because this will stop them from just playing their deck as they, they thought to be. So you should really analyze how your playgroup plays and based on that you should shape your deck either in a more removal heavy version or more in a counter heavy version. Lastly, mana generation. We run 9 mana rocks and I know that's a bit higher than the average deck but we want, we want to be sure to always have a mana rock in order to just start the combo lines with Brago so even if they get blown up we have a backup plan, a backup mana rock to go infinite with Brago and for what regards mana base we run 38 lands equally divided among white and blue because the deck is pretty balanced uh, among the cost of cards between blue and white so the mana base is really split at half blue and half white then we're on to the price check so the price for this list according to card market not considering shipping fees and basic lands is 104 euros and 23 cents and that's really cheap for a deck that can combo off consistently and I think that for someone who wants to play that as competitive level, this list could be a starting point before you're willing to just spend more money on a list. So if you want to try out a deck that could be played at CDH level, because Brago is one of those decks, I think you could pick up this this list and just play it out and, th and see if you like this kind of deck and then from there you could easily upgrade it to CDH level. I think that the three main points to make the step to CDH level are more and more oppressive stack species in order to just stop our opponents from interacting in any way with our ideal combo line, more and better tutors in order to always have the combo pieces we need, and lastly better mana base and mana rocks because with a higher budget we can just play the best cards in the in the game, uh, mana producing wise, so cards like Tundra, the OG Dual, and Green Monolith, a uh, mana rock that is in the reserve list and therefore costs lots of money, are some points of upgrade that are, I think, perfect for someone who wants to play this deck at a higher level. But before just spending that much money, I think you could start from a list that is around 100 euros, that is really affordable and from there decide what to do with it now it's up to you what do you think of the list did you enjoy this episode what changes would you have made well let me know through instagram at from twitter at tdhfrom and also on youtube 
on the channel from Italy with EDH. I'll be very happy to see your opinions, your ideas for changes in the list, and also a general feedback on the podcast as a whole. So be sure to let me know and follow me on those platforms. With this, I think I said it all. I hope you have a great day today and I'll see you in the next episode.